Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I'm your shopkeeper, Chris Baker. Well, you'll find our shop is stocked with the mystical, the fantastic, and the haunted. We have got uh, items to peruse. We have got tomes to flip through. And, of course, we have uh, films to uh, inspect and perchance take a look at and today we're going to do just that as we pull out the mutoscope and take a look at a documentary from back in 2019 that is going to be making a bit of a resurgence of sorts in the near future the documentary called horror noir a history of black horror now, if you've had the opportunity on Shudder to uh, take a look at this very interesting documentary, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, it's actually based off a novel from 2011, Horror Noir, Blacks and American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present by uh, author Robin R. Means Coleman, Ph.D., and I, I was really interested to, to check this out because, you know, it's got uh, a, a great premise. You know, uh, the black community uh, has been a part of horror and in not so many good ways uh, in the past. And now we're starting to, to, to see where, you know, there's a voice in horror that hasn't really been able to take center stage, hasn't been allowed to take center stage, and that we've been kind of missing out on. Because myself as a horror fan, I've never looked at, uh, you know, this is a white horror, this is a black horror story. I just like good stories. And I don't care who the protagonist is. I don't care who the antagonist is. I just want a good story. And like I said, there are so many good stories out there that aren't being told or haven't been told uh, for, for whatever reason. And I think this uh, documentary really takes a look at the history of black Americans in horror and uh, and takes a look at the future. Not just the past, not just the present, but the future of, of black horror. And uh, I, I'm really excited uh, for, for what we have in store for us. And, uh, you know... I, one of the things that really made me interested in this and made me really take a look at uh, at the fact that I think uh, the black voice hasn't always been really heard in horror, in fantasy, in, uh, in comic books, and that is actually the movie Unbreakable uh, by M. Night Shyamalan. It's probably the first uh, I really started thinking it, uh, thinking about it, because, you know, you, you look at popular culture, and you see the stereotypical uh, kid, teenager who's into comic books, into horror. It's usually some nerdy, scrawny white kid. And that's always kind of been the, the stereotype of that. And it was interesting to watch Unbreakable because you had uh, the, the character that uh, Samuel L. Jackson plays, Mr. Glass. They do flashbacks where uh, it goes back to him as a kid and he has this rare disease where his bones break very easily. So he really can't go out and play. Uh, he doesn't want to go out at all. And his mom 
uh, in a way to coax them to at least just get outside and not be cooped up in their apartment all day long. She leaves a box of comic books uh, on a bench outside on the edge of a park. Uh, to get them to go outside and check it out. Uh, she kind of entices them by by giving them uh, one of the comic books, and then there's a whole bunch more. And it really kind of painted a picture of uh, a young black child uh, being into comics, which wasn't something that I'd ever really seen or even, even thought of. You know, like I said, I've always just kind of, you know... Uh, People who were into comic books and horror were uh, dorky white kids like me. And and to see a, a young black man being portrayed as a, a fan of comics just kind of opened my eyes and opened my mind to a bigger picture that there have been, have always been, fans of horror, fans of comics that aren't just dorky white kids, you know? There are young black men and women that have grown up uh, reading comic books and loving horror movies and just like me. And... I think one of the things that uh, that I think that movie did was was show that uh, you know what everybody loves this uh, people of all cultures all races uh, you know maybe not everybody loves these stories but but there are people from all these cultures all these different races you know M Night Shyamalan with his Indian heritage uh, obviously a huge fan of horror and comics and it, yeah it just kind of opened my eyes and broadened my vision of uh, the the types of people uh, that like this stuff beyond just you know my own close little circle uh in in so much as me uh you know it's really interesting to think that you know yeah maybe there are probably people of all races nationalities that uh, that love the same things as i do and and i think you know m night Shyamalan. i don't know whether he intended to do that but i think he he opened uh my mind my eyes to to a broader picture uh the bigger scope of the fandom of of comic books and horror and then of course that kind of leads to the the idea that you know not a lot of people of color uh are represented or at least not represented very prominently in comic books uh you know in towards the 70s you know like the x-men was just a bunch of white one of the white kids and then the 70s they started bringing in some of the other nationalities and 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 then it got better you know comics got better at it as time went on uh, horror movies got better at it, uh, so to speak. Uh, maybe not better at it. Uh, they started being a little more inclusive, but not necessarily in in positive ways. And uh, this this documentary, uh, Horror Noir: uh, History of Black Horror, really kind of delves into that. And uh, like I said, you know, it, it had always been in my mind. Uh, you know, some of the things they're talking about. And so I was always interested in checking out this documentary. And then when I finally got Shudder, I was like, okay, I finally get it. That was actually probably one of the uh, key factors in me picking up Shudder. It was the fact that I was going to get to watch Horror Noir, the documentary, and I was going to get to watch the new uh, Creep Show <laughs> series that they came out with. Those are probably the two leading factors in me uh, getting Shudder. And uh, I, I've enjoyed it because you do get a lot of classic movies and, and a lot of great uh, new content and horror. But but anyway, I digress. But uh, if you check out this documentary, we're going to kind of just hit some of the key points, uh, uh, points of interest that uh, I really 
enjoyed it. And one of the things that really kind of kicked the whole thing off, which I, I really wasn't, uh, I, I kind of heard they talked about this, but I didn't really know, you know, but the film Birth of a Nation, they kick off this whole documentary talking about this 1915 film, which portrays African-Americans, uh, of course, with actors in blackface as sexually aggressive towards white women. And then the KKK comes in, the white knights to save the day. And really, I, you know, it's, it's not a horror film. I, I don't think when they made it, they were making a horror film. But when you think about it, and it's not, I don't think it's anything that anyone said out loud, but it, it is implied that this is a horror film. The way that that uh, black Americans are being portrayed in this uh, made this a horror film, especially for black Americans uh, of that time and, and for, for decades to come. And I think it was, I think it was a great place for them to start to really, you know, set the picture for how, you know, black Americans were portrayed in film just in general, let alone in horror this is this is one of the bases for it. I, I can't remember exactly when you know films started becoming more prevalent, but you know you got to imagine 1915 was in the early days of it. Uh, you know, silent films, and uh, you know, right at the forefront. This movie was was viewed in the White House for God's sake, and uh, to have you know your own countrymen being portrayed like this, uh, it's a disgusting thing. And like I said, it really kind of set the table for uh, for how blacks have been treated in film and uh, and especially in horror. And like I said, uh, I, I thought that was a, an interesting way to uh, to open this documentary. And then it kind of goes into the 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 30s, uh, 40s, and 50s kind of where black people really had minimal representation uh science fiction especially in in science fiction and horror you know science fiction was always uh doctors in lab coats in laboratories doing all sorts of uh of uh, things you know creating monsters and whatnot and uh, a lot of these filmmakers didn't want to portray a black person in a job as prestigious as uh being a doctor in a laboratory uh and then a lot of, uh, yeah, I don't think it was purposeful. You know, I, I listened to a lot of people talking in this documentary how, you know, with with the lack of black representation in these movies, uh, you kind of, you start searching for yourself. Where am I in this movie? If I'm not the doctor in the laboratory, if I'm not the, the, the main protagonist, where am I? And I think a, a lot of, a lot of uh, black Americans went right or wrong looking for themselves in the monsters and they they uh mention you know specifically monsters like king kong uh the you know uh, the uh, gill man from uh, creature from the black lagoon because he has the prominent lips and and I, I don't think that i don't think but this is me coming uh you know a white guy who who's never had to go through the hardships of racism uh i i don't think i never saw black people in those those creatures uh i never saw that as a representation maybe that's my own naivety uh as a child growing up watching some of these creature features uh you know the gill man i never looked at him having uh predominant lips uh prominent lips uh as as being a representation of a black person uh he was a, a fish creature and fish have fish lips and and that's you know so i i don't know whether 
you know, like I said, I could be wrong on that. Um, and who am I to say that uh, these filmmakers weren't implying that? Who am I to say that uh, any person is wrong for uh, seeing themselves uh, being portrayed by these characters from the filmmakers? Uh, I know that's just how I never took it as that. Uh, and, and it makes me sad to think that, uh, you know, a young black boy or girl would grow up and, and you know, potentially uh, be led to see themselves in these monsters because that's that's a horrible thing. That's, that's the one thing that's always bothered me about the lack of representation uh, in a lot of these films. And it's not like, again, uh, it's not something I really thought of until watching M. Night, Shyamalan's, M. Night Shyamalan's Unbreakable is that, you know, I've been lucky. Uh, you know, call it privilege or, or whatever you want. Uh, I've been lucky, you know, to, to see representations of myself in comic books. Uh, you know, I, I don't always get to see myself in, in comic books or movies. Uh, you know, as a, as a dark-haired kid, you know, usually the, the hero is always the, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed. <laughs> I'm quite short. Uh, so, you know, maybe Wolverine, I got to see my, myself and him, but he was more of an anti-hero. Uh, but but for, for a kid uh, growing up, uh, you know, a black boy or girl growing up and loving comic books, loving horror, and not getting to see themselves. Uh, represented in a positive light as the hero that's that's got to be that's got to be rough you know it's something uh, I know I probably took for granted Uh, maybe I still take for granted in some ways I I try to be more uh, cognizant of it but it is something that you know I think about from time to time how how tough that must have been and how important it is for some of the things we're seeing that we're going to get to uh, a little bit later but uh but that kind of leads us to uh, the 1968 sort of a breakthrough. Uh, I didn't realize at the time how big a deal it was. And it wasn't even until watching this that I'm like, yeah, I guess that that was a bigger deal than I thought. Because I never thought anything of it. But 1968's Night of the Living Dead, George Romero classic. Uh, he created the modern zombie. And, you know... I'm a huge George Romero fan, uh, living here uh, just uh, about a about an hour away from Pittsburgh, uh, up closer to Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, you know this area is is all about uh, George Romero because you know Night of the Living Dead filmed in Pittsburgh. Uh, so much of his stuff uh, is based around Pittsburgh, and uh, that's kind of like the zombie capital of the world, if you will. But uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, one of the things that made that such a um, such a historic movie is the fact that you had a black man as the hero. He was the the lead character, um, and and Dwayne Jones uh, played play this part spectacularly and it was such an amazing thing because in 1968 you're you know coming off the 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 hottest parts of the the civil rights movement and you still uh got that going on and to have a a black man in this lead role uh in a horror film was was i think you know i and and judging by what a lot of the people in this in this documentary was uh, a monumental feet and and george romero he even said you know he didn't he didn't plan that he didn't write that role for uh, a black man or a white man it was just 
Dwayne Jones was the best actor for it. And I remember growing up as a kid, you know, I, I lived for the late night creature features, the late night uh, scary movies. My best friend and I lived for the weekend. Uh, Tyson and I, we we would, you know, I'd spend the night at his house or he'd spend the night at my house uh, as soon as Friday hit. And we'd stay up Fridays and Saturday nights and watch the uh uh, Friday nights was usually stay up and watch Friday night videos, and Saturday nights was uh, stay up and watch the uh, the monster movies, the creature features, and the horror movies. And I remember watching Night of the Living Dead, uh, and and seeing Dwayne Jones in that uh, that protagonist role, and uh, and 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 you know it never really it never really crossed my mind that well this is a black man. It's not me. I just I just like the movie. I like the story. It was scary. It scared the bejesus out of me. Uh, the zombies, especially at the beginning with the they're coming to get you, Barbara, haunts me to this day, haunts my dreams. And then, you know, once they get uh, trapped in the farmhouse, um, it's just it's the stuff of nightmares. And I never thought about the fact that, well, this is. Uh, yeah, I can't like this because this is a black man in this lead role. That never crossed my mind as a kid. I just liked good stories, and and he he had that. You know, uh, I'm not sure how tall he is, but he seemed like a tall guy. Had that you know that slender build. He was you know he seemed tough. He was no nonsense, telling them that he's in charge, and. Uh, which was, you know, that was a big thing at the time as well. You know, yeah, black man telling a white man to to shut his cake hole and that he's the one, he's the boss. Uh, that that was a big deal as well. But uh, but he just he just looked the hero, uh, and and I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. I didn't have a, a doubt about that. And uh, of course, at the time. You know, I, I didn't think about how monumentous it was. I didn't think about the fact that this really was the first time I'd seen a black man in that that hero role, that protagonist role. And uh, it was such a, a, a big deal that uh, I didn't realize how big a deal it was until uh, till many, many years later. And uh, that was probably one of the triumphs of... Uh, of cinema and horror and, and George Romero. Uh, now we didn't see very many triumphs when it comes to uh, black representation as we we moved on into the seventies because that was kind of the era of the the black exploitation films. Uh, you know, it, it always uh, you know the the Shaft kind of guys, the the no nonsense uh, smack a hoe sort of characters that were. Uh, ridiculous caricatures. Uh, you know, not to say that there they weren't. You know, there wasn't some realism to it. I, I don't know. Uh, it just all seemed a bit um, a, a disservice to uh, to the black community for a lot of these portrayals. And uh, but you know, even out of that, you still had some uh, some black represent representation in in horror. That, uh, you know, there was a lot that I kind of uh, don't know about because I always chalked up a lot of these movies to black exploitation, uh, films like Sugar Hill, uh, Abbey, stuff like that, and, and Blackula. Uh, I never watched Blackula. And now that I've seen this, this documentary, uh, Horror Noir, uh, it makes me want to go back and watch films like Blackula because you have, uh, there's a lot of reverence uh, for this film in, in, you know, a lot of, uh, black filmmakers 
And uh, I, I didn't realize because I thought, you know, black exploitation film, it's, you know, it's going to be garbage uh, like any any sort of, um, you know, exploitive uh, film. You know, it's going to be on the cheap. It's going to be bad acting and it's going to be a lot of like insane stereotypes that, that border on disgusting. Uh, but when you look at it, and I've seen some of the clips from this movie, and uh, William Marshall, who plays Blackula, uh, I didn't realize uh, how strong of an actor he is. You know, he's got that very uh, classically trained Shakespearean, you know, acting ability. And and like I said, this this movie has a lot of reverence uh, for it because of that. I, I you know I. I'm not going to say that uh, this movie, he carries the movie, but, uh, but you know, not having seen it yet. Like I said, this is a movie that I want to check out now, thanks to this, uh, this documentary. But, uh, but part of the reason I want to check that out is just the performance of uh, William Marshall. Uh, in, pr- in the clips that I saw, it impressed me. So uh, I'm interested to find out more and, uh, you know, see you know, what this movie is about beyond the, the black exploitation stigma that it had on it. Uh, right or wrong, I never saw it, but, uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to make amends for that because I, I do want to check out Blackula and a lot of these other, uh, films that, uh, you know, again, uh, there were, some of them were black exploitation and, uh, not necessarily, uh, the best of intentions by the, by the production companies and the uh, directors and things like that, but uh, but they hold a place in uh, in black history in horror. Uh, so I'm excited to check out some of those. And of course, you go into the 80s and 90s where you kind of had uh, a lot of token representation. Uh, you had a lot of black characters in movies, um, but there was always that that stigma that the uh, the black person, the black guy, is going to get killed first in the movie, which I, I do enjoy the fact that they uh they talk about that and how that's not actually true uh the black guy usually doesn't get killed first in the movie although he does die eventually uh, but it's usually usually towards the end and usually some self-sacrificing way um uh to you know uh, save the white protagonist or save a white character and uh, there again it, they they get into kind of the tropes that developed in in movies that were not not uh, very positive uh for for the black community uh things like that where you know the you got the magical negro trope which really kind of uh came about spikely i don't know if he coined that phrase but he really kind of brought it to the forefront um which we'll talk about that here uh in a little bit but i did want to get to uh one horror film that kind of came out in the 90s. Another horror film that I did not watch because, well, I'll get to my reasons, but uh, it's making a resurgence with a new uh, sequel of sorts. I I don't know if it's a reboot, a sequel, or kind of a combination of both, but Candyman, which uh, stars uh, Tony Todd as the as the main antagonist in this, he's the bad guy and uh, the vengeful spirits of an African American man. And uh, I was not really interested in seeing that movie when it first came out. The movie came out in '92, and by that time, I was getting a little disenfranchised with the slasher movie genre because by that time, we had already had uh, like Nightmare on Elm Street uh, four and five 
just didn't do anything for me. Uh, Friday the 13th, you know, I, I can't remember. I, I liked six, but seven and eight just didn't do anything for me. I was uh, a little, you know, I, I still like the Halloween series. Halloween, probably one of my favorite uh, series of all times. But this movie came out, uh, you know, this was about the time Shocker was coming out. And that just didn't do anything for me. Candyman came out and uh, I did not watch it. I remember my sister and her friend went and watched it. I remember her telling me about it. And you say Candyman five times and he shows up. I'm like, oh, that's that's Bloody Mary. Uh, I don't want to see a, a ripoff of Bloody Mary, but uh, but they, they really, this is a, a movie that uh, I didn't know much about, and I just kind of let my I was a little jaded with the the slasher genre of horror, and uh, I mean the story is based off a uh, Clive Barker short story, The Forbidden, and uh, when they made this movie, that was kind of played off of. Uh, you know, the differences in the classes, and they kind of changed that to, to be uh, more racially uh, driven in this film. And uh, all the all the things I've, I've seen of this movie, and I heard people talking about it, you know, Tony Todd is, is kind of an icon in, uh, in Black American horror because of this movie. Now, the, the sequels, uh, you know, from what I've heard, uh, you know, one of them was direct-to-video, the other one, not quite as good as the the original, uh, but, you know, few sequels are, but, you know, a lot, a lot of regard is held for Candyman and what Tony Todd did in this movie, uh, as well as Bernard Rose, the director, and uh, so I'm, I'm excited to watch uh, Candyman, uh, when I get a chance here, here soon, because I want to check that out before, uh, Candyman actually being released, um, as of the recording of this podcast, it's coming out on, uh, in a couple days on Friday, the 27th, I do believe it is coming out. So, uh, uh, once this will post, uh, tomorrow, Thursday, the 26th. So, uh, tomorrow Candyman is coming out the, uh, reboot sequel I'm, I'm not exactly sure how they're playing this but i'm interested in seeing both because tony todd reprises his role as the candy man uh for this sequel and uh i'm really interested to to find out again about another movie that i kind of let uh stigma of slasher films uh kind of get to me at the time it came out and never watched it and i do want to give this one a shot as well so really excited to check out candy man but uh, that kind of, you know, they, they take you through the 90s and, uh, you know, Tales from the Hood was uh, another, I love horror anthologies, whether it is a short book of short stories or a movie like Creep, the Creep Show movies, uh, Tales from the Hood, I really enjoyed um, because it just had such interesting you know, interesting stories, stories that I probably wouldn't have seen uh, because a lot of this did deal with uh, the horrors of, you know, the black community was was uh, facing on a daily basis, whether, whether it came to, you know, uh, abuse by cops, uh, home abuse, uh, racism, that sort of thing. Uh, those are stories that I, you know, uh, as a white kid, I... I you know, I didn't see those types of stories. And to put those in a horror setting, I thought was interesting. Uh, gang violence is, uh, you know, uh, 
talked about in this in some way uh, or another. And it was a, uh, it was, it was interesting to watch and, and to be able to take um, social issues at the time, uh, community issues, uh, issues that are facing the black community, uh, whether it's racism, domestic abuse, police corruption, you know, police, you know, violence, gang violence, that sort of thing. And to put it in a horror setting to make, you know, to, to have a, a story with a uh, point that you're trying to make and then to be able to do it well with, with horror in the, in the midst of a horror uh, world. Uh, I think that was, it was a, a fun movie to watch, an interesting movie to watch, a movie that, you know, kind of, again, uh, opened the eyes to to things that maybe I, as a, as a white kid, a white teenager, when this came out, uh, well, I was probably in my early 20s when this came out, uh, it was things I, I didn't experience, had never experienced, and, and to be able to, to show me that. Uh, because I'm a horror fan and because I wanted to see a good scary and, um, movie or a story and to be able to, uh, to see something, uh, to be exposed to something that I wouldn't normally be exposed to, uh, thanks to horror. I, I, I think it's something that maybe I didn't appreciate as much at the time, but, uh, looking back, uh, certainly, uh, appreciate it. So, uh, you know, Tales from the Hood was a, a great, uh, I, I loved, uh, you know, hearing about that in this documentary and, and even things like uh, Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. I, I like that they talked about that because that was another one where I didn't really think about it much when I watched it, but, uh, you know, Demon Knight, uh, one is a great scary story. I, I, <laughs> I, I didn't care much for the sequel to it. Um, I can't even remember what it was called. It was that, uh, unmemorable for me, but Demon Knight was, was fun. It was a good, scary, uh, scary movie. And the fact that Jada Pinkett, you know, they, they begin this trope of the final girl. Uh, I don't know who probably was the first one. Uh, maybe you consider Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween, probably one of the first final girls, uh, of modern horror. Uh, but, uh, but that became a thing and to have Jada Pinkett, uh, as the, uh, a black final girl was a big deal. And there again, not something I recognized at the time. I just liked the movie and I, I liked Jada Pinkett's character in it. And I enjoyed that for what it was not thinking, well, she's black. Uh, that's, that's the first time I've seen that, but in hindsight, Looking back, that that was another big, big thing for the the final girl, quote unquote, final girl to be uh, uh, an African American, uh, Black American, and uh, and then it kind of goes into how you know uh, horror films and hip hop kind of intersected, and uh, it, it was very interesting to to hear about the thoughts and opinions. From all these big names in in movie, I, I have to mention of course Jordan Peele's in there. Uh, Tony Todd uh, talks a lot about things. Tanana Rivdu uh, is in there, and one of my favorite actors. I love Keith David. Uh, of course, you know he's been in so many great movies. Uh, not just uh, not just horror movies, action movies. You know he was in uh, one of the missing in action movies. He's been in. Tons of other movies. Of course, it's some of my favorite horror movies. Uh, the Thing, 
uh, probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Got to be, uh, I, I, I can't say number one just because it's so close, but at least top three, top five horror movies. I, no, I'll go on a limb. I think The Thing is probably top three uh, horror movie of all time for me personally. Uh, they Live is another great one. That's got to be, you know, I, I hate ranking stuff because I'm, I'm horrible. I love, it's like uh, trying to rank your kids. I love all these different horror movies for so many different reasons, but uh, they live. He's in that pitch black. So many, so many great uh, movies, whether it's action or horror. And he actually uh, made an appearance in, uh, I believe, the second season of of the new series on Shutter, uh, Creep Show, with the uh, the guy that plays Eugene from Walking Dead. Can't think of his name right off the bat, but uh, uh, Keith David is in this. And anytime the camera gets on Keith David, I I just love it. He's one of those guys that I could just sit there and listen to him talk and tell stories uh, for for days. Uh, Stephen King's like that as well. I, I just lo- I just sit there and I love listening to Stephen King tell stories and 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 uh, Keith David is the same way. So I really enjoyed uh, him in this in this movie. And uh, a lot of great voices in uh, black filmmakers and, and actors and writers and uh, really enjoyed that. And one of the, but I, I did want to touch on one thing that uh, really uh, not, you know, who, who am I to, to say what anyone should derive, especially anyone of color should derive from movies. But uh, we were talking about the, uh, the tropes and the magical Negro uh, trope that uh, has been become so prevalent, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of horror podcasts, uh, a lot of Stephen King podcasts, and I hear this brought up, especially by millennials. Uh, you know, and and not to say that there aren't some egregious uh, representations uh, of black people in in books, in film, and TV that kind of. Uh, sway to the magical negro trope uh but i I think there's a lot of you know a lot of actors and actresses that have these roles that i don't think when they accept them they're looking at it as oh well i'm playing the magical negro and everybody's gonna be mad at me because i'm doing a disservice to the black community uh I, i think a lot of these roles because uh, because the magical Negro trope is usually a uh, a black person, man or woman, who has some sort of special power, and you don't know anything else about them other than that they have this power, and they're the help to the white protagonist uh, do something or learn something, and then they disappear. And I, I see, especially in Stephen King's work, I see a lot of uh, talk of the magical Negro trope, especially with uh, John Coffey and the Green Mile. Uh, Mother Abigail and the Stand, uh, just a, a couple of these. You know, even even um, Morgan Freeman is red in the Shawshank Redemption. Even though he doesn't have magical powers, he's just there to kind of, you know, quote unquote, he's just there to assist Andy Dufresne. And uh, and I think that does a disservice to the writing of Stephen King. And and you know, I'm just using him as an example because I am such a huge Stephen King fan and uh and these are very predominant roles that that I've heard be put down uh because of this quote unquote trope. Um 
you know, with these characters, Stephen King is such a, a great writer that uh, there's there's more depth to these characters. Mother Abigail isn't there just to help the white people out and get them to Boulder and you don't know anything else, else about her. You know, she's you you see her struggles. You hear about her past. Uh, you see the struggles she goes through, uh, both internally and externally. Uh, you know, she's she's got choices to make, just like anybody else. Same with uh, with Red from from uh, from Shawshank Redemption, which you can't even you can't even blame Stephen King for that as being a part of the magical Negro trope, because uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's a white Irish guy with red hair in the book. Uh, but you know, uh, the incomparable Morgan Freeman uh, got that role uh, thanks to Frank Darabont, and I think he, Frank Darabont, did a, a great service to the film community because Morgan Freeman just was fantastic. But you you find out more about this character, you find out his backstory, especially in the book. Maybe not as much in the film, but you know, if you're if you're uh, you know, you can't blame Stephen King for how the film portrayed Red um, when Stephen King had the, this character was fully fleshed out in the book. And and I think, you know, for such time constraints as you have in a movie, uh, I think they did a good job in the in the book. And, you know, he does help Andy Dufresne along, but he all himself has struggles in this. And, you know, he is the focus of those little, that last, you know, bit of the the movie where he's, you know, uh, up for parole and that sort of thing. So I think that is not a, not a valid example of the magical Negro trope and, and John Coffey as well. Uh, I think, you know, that is a situation where you have this guy who comes out of nowhere and yeah, we don't know a lot about his past, but, uh, you know, he's, he's a simple guy, uh, but, you know, there's a lot of characters. That character is, a you know, an archetype. Uh, Lenny from Of Mice and Men, uh, very much like that. Stephen King wrote a, another story, Blaze, with uh, with that, that title character, that titular character, um, being the same way, big and, and strong and just not... Uh, so it's it's not a it's not a black versus white thing I don't think uh, maybe that's again my naivety but but to say that he you know we don't know anything about them that may be true but to say he didn't have wants uh, to say we didn't know what his desires were uh, we did find out about that and you know he's you know he wasn't just at the behest of the white characters uh, he wasn't you know. They, they weren't the white saviors he could have he could have broke free at a number of times and but he was you know there again uh he had these special powers he could feel the world around him and and that that scene where he talks about he's tired boss and and he's you know all the hate is like glass and uh you know any of us could feel like that and a lot of us do and he decided that he did not want to to go on so he he it was very very much a uh a christ figure if anything uh as opposed to a magical negro trope and uh i just think that you know if if we paid attention less to uh who's helping who uh, you know, these are these are stories that 
are fantastic. It's Stephen King. It's either going to be horror or somebody's going to have the shine or somebody's going to have some sort of special power. And whether that's a black person or a white person, uh, you know, that's up to Stephen King to write. But for us to sit there and belittle a character and belittle an author because he wrote, uh, I'm sure that the John Coffey character played by the 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 late great Michael Clark Duncan, uh, I'm sure he never from maybe I may I can't say never, uh, maybe maybe he did think oh you know I'm playing this character and Spike Lee told me this is the magical Negro trope and I'm doing a disservice to the black community, maybe he did maybe he didn't think about that. I've never seen any interviews. I've not seen all of his interviews, so I don't know. Maybe there are some where he, he disparaged that. But, you know, that was a big role for him and uh, a, a role that, uh, you know, an actor can sink their teeth into, uh, you know, to play somebody with, with these special powers and a special person even beyond the power to, to have that much care and love uh, to do things for other people uh, selflessly, whether you're black or white. I think is, you know, to, to just label that with some trope uh, does a disservice to the actor, does a disservice to the author, does a disservice to the viewing community, because I'm sure there's a lot of, a lot of people that watch that uh, of a lot of uh, colors and nationalities that thought, you know what, I need to be more like, be more like John Coffey uh, in my life. And I don't think that's a bad thing. But, you know, I'll get off that soapbox, like I said. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive to, to all that. But, uh, but I don't think so. Uh, I'm always growing, always learning, try, always trying to better myself. So maybe, maybe if I am wrong, maybe I'll, uh, I'll figure it out along the way. But, uh, but at any rate, uh, this movie, uh, this documentary kind of leads into where we are now with horror and and the black community and their place in it and and they talk uh, a bit about jordan peele uh who's kind of come to the forefront of of black horror and black science fiction and and those uh types of genres that i just i love black fantasy um and, and i hate even calling it black fantasy black horror black uh, science fiction because it's just horror fantasy science fiction this just ha so happens to have a a black man uh we've got some coming up a black woman uh at the helm but uh, get out from uh 2017 was uh was i think what really opened the door and uh, is is important because we are going to see a lot more uh black men and women uh writing and not not writing uh, we're not going to see them more uh but we're going to be exposed to them more uh we're going to see uh you know there's a lot of uh black directors out there uh black writers that uh really have been kind of um not at the forefront and i think thanks to jordan peele and get out uh we are going to start seeing that more and I remember that was another movie where I just, I, I couldn't wait to watch it. It took me forever to be able to actually watch it. Um, 
because by the time that I came out, Blockbuster Video was gone. Uh, the local video store was gone. And uh, my streaming at the time was limited, but I finally eventually got to see uh, Get Out. And, and I really enjoyed it because it, there again, uh, you've got a black director, a black lead actor. And, you know, while it's, it doesn't fall, I don't think it falls into the trap that uh, some like them on Amazon Prime uh, to watch them, I wanted to like it more than I did. It started out really creepy and atmospheric, but it kind of played too much off of all white people are racist. And I'm a white guy, and I don't. I'm not racist. I don't think. Uh, I, I've, I've always tried to live my life uh, treating everybody like I would uh, want myself to be treated. Uh, and that kind of, that kind of turned me off to that. I still watched the whole thing. I enjoyed some aspects of it. Uh, it just became so convoluted with the story and, you know, there again, uh, representation is important. And when you represent every white person in the, in the TV show as a racist, uh, I think that was, it just, it seemed a little too heavy handed. Uh, okay. Yeah. You, you know, white people were racist, uh, but that's not true. We're not all racist. Um, I, I thought it would have been better played if uh, you had a, a small core group of the white neighbors in them as racist and then the rest of the community turning a blind eye to that racism. I thought would have been more of an accurate uh, portrayal of, of some white communities because I think for the most part, a lot of white people aren't racist. Uh, I think we all have our own bigoted thoughts or stereotypes that we kind of right or wrongly, mostly wrongly uh, adhere to. But but I think that's true in any race. Uh, you know, black people, I'm sure, are bigoted about some things from other um, nationalities. And, you know, they they stereotype you know, white people or other nationalities, just like white people sometimes stereotype black people or Asian people. You know, it's uh, stereotypes and bigotry isn't uh, solely a white person thing. And uh, so I think to, to portray white people as all racist in that show, at least on this block, uh, you know, a microcosm of the greater picture, uh, I think it, it was it was a little heavy handed. And like I said, I, I would have liked to see, because I think that's more of a problem is uh, when white people uh, don't stand up to their racist neighbors and don't stand up to the racist friends who sit there and say horrible things. And uh, I, I'm probably just as guilty as anybody. I think that's a, a bigger, you know, that's the better finger to point at, at white culture. And, uh, but beyond that, uh, the, the story got very convoluted and, uh, I didn't mean to jump on this tangent on them, but, uh, but we probably wouldn't have this, this show, which is going to be an anthology series. If they, I haven't seen if they picked it up for a second season, but I'm interested to see where the story goes, uh, or where these stories go when, you know, they, they do the second season, uh, in a different story. Uh, Lovecraft Country was another new uh, show, you know, 
black cast, I think they did a little bit better job. You know, they focused on this black family and these you know, this black neighborhood. And yeah, there were some white people in it. Uh, some of them were racist. Some of them just were kind of black background character. Uh, you know, they, they did show a lot of racism with the white characters that they did have kind of front and center, but, but they didn't focus on that. It was more about the characters. It was more about the, uh, the, the family. And, uh, and I enjoyed that a lot more, uh, because the story was cohesive, of course, with them, that was all kind of original with Lovecraft country based on, uh, the book of the same name and, uh, it was uh, well acted. Uh, I like the cast in both shows, uh, them and Lovecraft Country, uh, but uh, you know both the acting. But I think you know the the cast and the writing in Lovecraft Country was just a, a, a cut above, uh, a big cut above uh, that uh, the writing in them, uh, which I just didn't care for. But Lovecraft Country up for uh, a ton of uh, what is it Emmy nominations. And uh, deserving of, of all of those. But there again, like I said, uh, we wouldn't see these stories, I don't think, if it wasn't for Jordan Peele and Get Out. And of course, he's done some other. Uh, not a big fan of the Twilight Zone series. He's kind of rebooted. I know he's just a producer on it. It's not really, it's not his writing so much uh, or, or directing. But uh, there again, it's pretty heavy handed on white people who are racist. And uh, I, I haven't watched the full series just because I got kind of turned off on, on you know, you can only be called a racist uh, or only be portrayed as a racist for so long. And, and then maybe maybe that's maybe that's the whole point of it. Uh, see how you like it. And yeah, you know, I've never been one to like either way, either the horrible portrayal of black people in uh in films and tv past when it comes to horror uh i don't like the portrayal of, of white people and a lot of the newer stuff uh these days but uh but jordan peele did a great job with uh with get out uh loved that movie uh loved us was such a creepy movie i ended up watching that movie by myself i took the day off so I could go to the movie theater because I didn't want uh, I didn't want a, a big crowded movie theater. So I went and probably watched it at noon in the middle of a Wednesday, um, and I was the only person in the theater. And I kept looking down the aisle that I was sitting in, expecting to see another version of me. So that 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 creeped me out and added to the atmosphere as I was watching us. Uh, but uh, just a spectacular cast, spectacular script, uh, well-directed. I, I don't know if they're going to do a sequel to that. I hope not. I, I kind of like standalone. I hate that every movie's got to have uh, turn into a franchise. But, uh, but I just love that. The, the ending was a little weird. The whole uh, doppelganger, hands across America thing, I got to admit, that was a bit weird. Uh, I don't, maybe, maybe I just don't understand, but, uh, that, that was kind of awkward, but, uh, but really love that and, and can't wait to see uh, a lot of what Jordan Peele has, uh, set for the future. And then speaking of the future, you know, uh, this, this documentary, uh, horror noir, a history of black horror, uh, really set the table for a new series, a new anthology series on Shudder called Horror Noir. And uh, I'm, I'm so excited 
uh, to see this because there again, uh, you know, we haven't had a lot of black voices in horror uh, come to the forefront. You know, they're starting to come to the forefront more recently, but uh, but we haven't in the past. And to be able to see some of these uh, these stories, I'm really excited about. I don't know a lot about. Uh, the stories that we're going to see, but, uh, you know, you got a lot of uh, big names uh, being bandied about uh, when it comes to these different um, different stories in this anthology series. Uh, uh, Tanana Reeve do and her husband, uh, Stephen Barnes, uh, are, are doing some episodes. Uh, Ezra C. Daniels, uh, of course, uh, graphic novelist uh, doing an episode, uh, novelist uh, Victor Laval, uh, Shernold Edwards, uh, who's worked on uh, a couple shows that I've really loved, uh, Sleepy Hollow and Haven. Uh, she's going to be doing a uh, an episode. Uh, Al Letson uh, as well, uh, Emmy winner. So I, just a, a lot of big names, and uh, I'm excited to see. Uh, you know, I haven't. Uh, I don't know as if they've really put out a full trailer for the season. It's it's more been like a, a teaser trailer. Uh, unless I'm missing it, I'll have to do some research, but uh, really excited about this anthology series. And that's coming out on November the 14th, I believe, or no, 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 October, October the 14th. It hits, uh, you can watch it on Shudder, um, which is a part of the AMC plus bundle or, or just, you know, I just got Shudder uh, in and of itself, but October 14th, that's coming on the air and uh, we're probably not going to do a uh you know, episode by episode podcast. I'll probably uh, post some things on the Facebook page, the uh, Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop Facebook page uh, about the individual episodes as I watch them. And then once the series is all finished, I will do kind of a, a series overview and talk about the the different episodes and some of the, the highlights and, and some of the things I loved, maybe some of the things I didn't like. Uh, but uh, I'm really excited to, to see this. Like I said earlier, I love a good anthology series. Uh, cut my teeth growing up watching The Twilight Zone and, uh, you know, Tales from the Dark Side and things like that. So Outer Limits. So always a, a big fan of, and, and I love short stories. Uh, there's nothing beats a short, short, good short story. And, uh, you know, if you can pack uh, a ton of horror into, you know, a handful of pages, uh, you're doing something special. And I think, you know, short stories always translate better to movies and TV shows as well. So uh, excited about this series, Horror Noir, coming to Shudder on October the 14th of this year. So looking forward to that. But I encourage everyone, if you get a chance... Uh, check out this uh, documentary, Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror, or check out the book. Like I said, the uh, 2011 novel, uh, Horror Noir, Blacks and American Horror Films from the uh, 1890s to present by author uh, Robin R. Means Coleman, uh, Ph.D. And uh, e either way, I, I think you're going to learn a lot. Uh, I learned a lot. It opened my eyes to a lot. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's definitely, if you love horror, uh, if you love sci-fi, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's important to, uh, 
to see uh, a bigger picture because there's, like I said, a lot of voices that we haven't heard in these genres, a lot of great stories that we haven't heard uh, because of the color of somebody's skin. And that, to me, just is inherently wrong. And I'm excited uh, for the future of horror and sci-fi and fantasy as we get more voices uh, being allowed to, to tell their stories, come to the forefront and tell their stories. And uh, I, I think, you know, only good things can come from that. So I'm excited about that. So uh, check out our Facebook page, uh, Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Facebook. Uh, like us there. And, of course, we're always posting. I'm scouring the uh, the interwebs trying to find uh, news on the latest, uh, you know, uh, horror, sci-fi, fantasy, TV, movies, books, all that good stuff. Uh, we've got a couple of episodes coming up next week. Uh, I'm really excited about uh, you were talking about Creep Show, and uh, there's a third season of Creep Show that's going to be coming out uh, in the next couple months, I do believe. So we're going to do kind of a uh, series overview. We're going to talk about uh, season one and season two. I did kind of a, a review of the first episode. Uh, Gray Matter from Stephen King's short story, the same name. Uh, but we're going to kind of do a uh, a rundown of uh, both the seasons of Creep Show and uh, some of my favorite episodes and uh, some of my favorite uh, moments uh, throughout the series. And then, of course, once season three comes out, uh, much like horror noir, uh, you'll get some updates on my thoughts on individual episodes on the Facebook page. Uh, and then once the season is finished or I finish watching the season, I'll do uh, a season overview of season three. So looking forward to that on Monday, August the 30th. We've got the uh, season one, season two, a creep show overview. And then on September the 2nd, uh, I, I'm really excited about this. One of my favorite uh, metal bands uh, from the 80s and 90s, Anthrax, uh, celebrating their 40th anniversary. They put out a graphic novel celebrating their um, Among the Living album. Uh, it's it's a bunch of different, uh, I believe, short stories uh, done in graphic novel form. Uh, lots of different authors, lots of you know guys from the band writing um, and, and doing art and things like that. Charlie Bonatti's a, a, a fabulous artist, uh, the drummer from Anthrax. So uh, I've got that in the mail. It's on the way. I'm hoping to get here in time. It should get here in time for me to uh, to give that the once over. And uh, we're going to do a review on the uh, Among the Living uh, comic book. Uh, from Anthrax uh, coming up on September the 2nd. So that's next Thursday. So uh, like I said, check out the Facebook page, like it, follow us there. Uh, give us a review. Five star would be lovely. If not, you know, if you, you don't like what you hear, at least give us something. Uh, and and uh, hopefully you do like what you hear and uh, like what we're doing here at Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop and uh, give us those, uh, those reviews and we'd greatly appreciate that. And until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha.